0: Back, welcome back to another episode of the Flat Out RC Podcast, a podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. My name's Andrew Sill, coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Sunny Melbourne, Australia as I record this. Well, the journey of finding podcast guests continues, but I found uh, we've got a repeat offender this week. We've got Michael Timms coming on. Uh, he's been on a couple of times uh and we're talking about teaching people how to fly model planes um uh, michael is always very articulate when it comes to the technique and the art of flying model airplanes and he does a lot of training at his home club but also happens to be a pilot for Qantas uh and is a uh, check and training captain i think so uh has the full-size training experience as well so stay tuned for my chat with Michael. But before we get to that, let's take a look at what's been happening around the Traps. There's a lot happening around the Traps. There's a lot of events coming up. We're coming back into event season here in Australia with the big uh, 40th mammoth scale flying happening at Shepparton 16th or 17th of September, 2023. Sixteenth to seventeenth of September. This is Australia's largest giant scale model plane get together. Uh, there's like limitations. You have to have a, a monoplane has to be at least eighty inch in wingspan, and a biplane sixty six inches. Um, two day event. Uh, it's the fortieth anniversary. Big fortieth anniversary. I'll tell you what. If you go to the event, they're actually selling some fortieth mammoth scale flying merchandise caps and t-shirts and and if you go get onto the, my um facebook page the flat out rc facebook page you'll see I, I shot a little video they sent me through a cap and a t-shirt thank you very much the gang at the valley radio flies the host club uh really nice really nice t-shirt and really nice cap as well so 16th to 17th of september at their field the valley radio flies field in a which is basically outside of shepparton in victoria um if you look up google and you type in valley radio flies it shows up on the map and it'll tell you how to get there that's the best thing to do i reckon flying from 10 a.m to 4 p.m um a lot of people camp out so you can camp at the field they do encourage that it's 20 dollars for the weekend Um, food and drinks will be available the public entry as well is only five dollars kids under 16 free so if you want a good family day out, head on down to the 40th Mammoth Scale Flying at the Valley Radio Flyers Club in Shepparton, 16th to the 17th of September, 2023. Now, to register, there are early bird specials and all that kind of stuff. Entry forms are available at valleyradioflyers.com.au. F-L-Y-E-R-S, if you get onto their website, you'll be able to download the PDFs to complete and hand in your early bird registration. And get your merchandise whilst you're out there. Now there's a whole bunch of prizes, thanks to a bunch of different um, organizations: Model Flight, AusStars Models, Scale Aero Products, um, Scale Aero Sports. No, that's Scale Aero Products. There's a there's an error here. A uh, fuel voucher um, is one of the the clubs giving away a hundred dollar fuel voucher. Um, there's a Phoenix model. Dauntless 46 Isles plane that's uh being raffled off. A Hobby Zone Aero Scout CY models 96 inch Russian LA 7 Red Star. There's um yeah, the, the Australian Scale Association is involved in it as well. So lots happening there. And don't forget the merchandise as well. Valley 16th the 17th of September. My aim is to be there. All things going well, I will be there. Okay, and I've got a few other messages. Um, Carlo Espartero, who was on last the last podcast, sent me a message saying the Norlanga Model Aerosports Club is having a come-try day on the 24th of September. Clisby Lane Seaford Meadow, Meadows in South Australia, 10 a.m. To, till 3 p.m., Come along and experience the fun of flying a model aircraft. If you've got anybody, most of you out there flying model airplanes, it's very unlikely that anyone's listening to this podcast is outside of our sphere. But if you know someone that might be interested, it could be a good, uh, and they're down in South Australia, Norlunga Model Aerosports Club, uh, come and try day September, uh, September the 24th, Sunday the 24th of September. So get on down to that one. And one more here. I got a message from WA. My name is Greg Godfrey. I have recently been appointed as the media officer for the Western Australian Model Aircraft Sports Centre Whoa, I'm ask. at Whiteman Park. Great field at Whiteman Park. Heard a lot about it. I think they've got the Nashville Strip um, down at Whiteman Park in Perth. Um, now, they have a fundraising event happening on the 1st of October. The club will be running a charity fundraising event for the Royal Flying Doctor Service which is our, for those listening overseas, it's our, Australia's a big country. We've got a lot of remote areas and the Royal Flying Doctor Service is a flying doctor service that goes to remote areas, especially in Central Australia, Western Australia, parts of South Australia, probably Queensland a bit, New South Wales a bit, uh, to help people. Um, the event will be a static display. The event will be a static display of all of Andrew Hertzfeld's large-scale jets. Now, Andrew Hertzfeld, is amazing. I'm trying to get him on. He's going to come on and we're just trying to tee up some dates. But Andrew Hertzfeld gets a lot of publicity because he builds these beautiful, big, big turbine models. He's got an A330, a, a 747, and his new PC-24 in the Royal Flying Doctor Service scheme. This is the one that's getting a lot of notoriety, um, and he's really l- leveraging that model to try to raise some funds for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. So there'll be a fun fly invitational for all mAA registered pilots. Uh, so that is happening 1st of October at the and Club, uh, Wemesk. I don't know how they pronounce it, but it's the Western Australian Model Aircraft Sports Centre. 1st of October. Awesome. Charity fundraising event for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. What a great event. We'll keep on plugging that one. If you're in Western Australia, get on down. Thanks to Greg for sending me through this this stuff. I, I like it when people send me messages about events that are happening. Now, speaking of events, I just want to talk about the... World F3A championships have just concluded uh, in uh, Warwick in New South Wales, I think it is, Queensland, one of the two. Uh, I think it's New South Wales or it could be Queensland. I can't remember. Anyway, in Australia. Um, and well done to all the organisers. It looked like an awesome event. It's So much work has to go into an event like that. And there's been a good dedicated um, group from the... Um, Pattern Flying Association here in Australia that had put it all on and many helpers came from around Australia to help out a lot of the um, F3A uh, champs in Australia were there to, to help out. Um, now, let's just have a look at how, how the results went. Let's start with the juniors. There was a junior category. There were six uh, competitors, including Macklin Dodd, who's been on the podcast uh, for Australia. It was won by Antonin Paysant Larue, Christoph's son. Uh, he's got good pedigree. His father's a champion F3A pilot. So well done to him. He did a great job. Uh, Sean Galloway for New Zealand did an excellent job to come second. Then we had MacDodd in fifth. Um, we had uh, Jonathan Heath from Spain, I think it was. Uh, Wu... Woo- Wu Sihong from China came in fourth, Mac Dodd and then Seo Jin Park from Korea. Well done. Mac Dodd. Look, Mac Dodd he just came onto the scene. He hasn't been flying Patton for that long, but to perform like he did is really phenomenal. Young guy, um, keeps on stealing my electric scooter when we go to Wang Jets event, but I, I won't that hold that against him, but well done to Mac for waving the flag high for Australia. And, uh, doing a good job at that and i'll tell you what he's going to learn a lot from that new and, and and i'll tell you what even more so than that the memories he's going to have of competing at the world on the world stage freaking phenomenal anyway um let's have a look at i'm just I'm scrolling through the results here i'll do the team results last so let's have a look at how did the the champs go the adults go it was interesting results i think we got a new champion um, it was hotly contested there were a lot of familiar names there in the f3a scene but a, a gentleman from finland has taken out top honors in Alassie nirilla what a good job i'll tell you what obviously he's been on the scene for a little bit but because no i don't think he just started flying but i haven't heard of him but well done he beats some big names some massive names andrew Jeski in second place he he is a Top runner, Andrew Jeske. He's been around on the scene for a long time. One of the best flyers around the world. Came in second for the USA. And then Jason Schulman again, third place from the USA. Another phenomenal pilot. Gurno Brookman, we had him on the podcast. He came fourth for Austria. Christophe paisant Larue, just a legend from France. Came in fifth. uh, In sixth, uh, Tetsuo Onda, another champion from Japan. Just look at those names. Onda, Paysant Larue, Brookman shulman jesky and now narilla what a legend good job but then let's have a look at uh well anton a- anton and payson larue christoph's uh, uh son came in 17th um but took out the the junior honor so he did it well chad northeast he's been to australia well done chad 15th for canada or some other names there um well here's some good ones let's get to the australians the australians did well Aaron Gall in 19th position, improved his position from the last world champs, um, cementing himself as really one of Australia's greatest aerobatic pilots, um, not only in the F3A now, but also in IMAX. So Aaron Gall, you're a legend, 19th posi- p- um, position. Good job. Uh, Fraser Briggs, 23rd. Well done, Fraser. You know, Fraser's uh been having a good crack at the F F3, three F three A, and no doubt there'll be plenty of stories that Fraser will be able to tell us about the world champs. Um, where are some of the other Aussies for all the Australian listeners? Now you want to know what happened? John Tonks, well done, thirty second place. Uh, Sean Galloway Junior, thirty third, well done, Sean Galloway. Geez, easy one to watch. He's a junior, um, from New Zealand. Uh, then we had another Australian. We had Mac Dodd was in 50th position and Peter Panisi in 41st. Well done. You should be very proud of yourselves. Good job. Now, teams. United States of America took out the teams event in top place and then followed by France and then Japan, Switzerland, Germany, Norway, New Zealand in seventh. Well done. Beat the Aussies. Damn. Uh, Britain, eighth. Australia, ninth, which is good. There were 20, 20 countries and we came ninth, so, you know, we're punching above our weight, really. Canada, South Africa, China, Colombia, Republic of Korea, Taipei, Argentina, Finland, Austria, Islamic Republic of Iran. Well done. And then followed by Brazil. So there you go. USA taking it out. Clean sweep, almost. They didn't get the top place in uh, in in the F3A category, but close with Andrew Jeske and Jason Shulman. So a good job to everybody involved in the F3A World Champs. I really do look up to people that go and compete for Australia um, and their own countries around the world because it's a big, big commitment to uh, to get there. It's not easy to get get chosen for the team, so there's a lot of preparation then to actually get there and all the people that have to travel to Australia because we know it's a long way away. So um, we appreciate the effort. Now you know what it's like for all the Australians to travel overseas to far-flung places to compete in world champs. So, I don't know. All I can say is well done to everybody uh, and uh, especially the organisers as well for uh, all your effort. You can have a rest now till the next competition. But well done. Okay, guest time. My favourite part of the podcast. This week's guest is a repeat offender in Michael Timms. And as I said earlier, Michael is... Not only an avid aero modeler, but very articulate when it comes to explaining how to fly and teaching people. You know, he's very keen in t- um, teaching a lot of people at his own club, and very methodical in the way that he does it. And I suppose it helps that he's a Qantas Link pilot and a check and training captain, I think, or a line line training or something. He'll tell us. But uh, he so he's involved in in full size flying and teaching people as well and overseeing people. So. A lot of experience, and I thought I'd get him on for something a bit different to just have a discussion about training people on how to fly model planes. And it's something that sort of um, I know people are always going to say, "Oh, you always talk about what you're doing and blah blah blah." Yes, this winter I've been ski instructing, and 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 the I had to go through a whole training process, and I learned a lot about teaching people. And and so you'll hear me talk a bit about that that relationship because it's the same kind of thing it, when it comes to the actual process of teaching somebody the ski instructors course was actually extremely thorough very very thorough so you know since it's top of mind of how to teach people how to attain a skill i thought i'll get michael tims on so uh let's get into it michael tims and i having a conversation about teaching people how to fly model planes we have a repeat offender coming back to the flat out rc podcast all the way from mildura michael tims welcome back
1: thanks andrew glad to be here
0: well, I, I like getting you back because I love the way that you explain facets of model flight. You know, the last podcast that we recorded, you talked about, you know, how to land a plane, things like that. And it's still one of my favorite podcasts because it was so well explained. And I actually, when I go flying, have your voice running through my head now when it comes to landing. And when I see my mates that can't land, I say, just go and listen to the podcast. Michael Tim's explaining how to land. So I thought I'd get you back. As, and. As it? Sorry, has it actually helped you though? <laughs> Did yes, it help? It has. So what I'm doing is holding nose high and um, flying it in on the throttle, and so it, okay. it it's all my trage- my trajectory when I come into land is a lot more constant, and I'm set up early, and I'm just flying yep. it down to the strip rather than um, cutting the throttle and guessing and hoping that I'm going to land in the spot where I want it to land, and you know the the classic case of flare too early then flare again and then actually we shot a, a another a club member of mine as a joke he was flying this really stole plane we put it on instagram mm-hmm. actually if you get on the flat out rc instagram you'll see it and Belint Banco, he was flying down the strip and i'm going can you just fly down just like flare 101 times so i'm going i'm, I'm pretending i'm giving him a lesson going flare okay yep flare again flare and he basically flared all the way but it shows how much skill the guy's got because he was he's an awesome yep. pilot. And he, it was hilarious. Mm. He just kept on going for the whole strip. Yep, yep. And then he goes going around and he went around again. But, yeah, getting that trajectory right was a big thing that I learned. Now,
1: tell me, what have you been up to? Um, always flat out at work teaching all the new pilots. So, you know, we're going to be teaching more need pilots, I suppose, about the next probably two to three years. So, so, so yeah. wait a
0: second, people need to know, you're a Qantas pilot, but you also do training as part of your role
1: then at Qantas? Yeah, yep. Yeah, just a low line training captain. So yeah, I teach all the the new young kids that come straight out of university or, you know, straight out of general aviation and strap them in the aeroplane off we go for what, day one. What plane are they flying? What are you flying? Um, the Dash, Dash 8 300. So just turboprop, 50 seats. So Yeah, cool. Good, Good, honest, fun aeroplane.
0: Yep, they are. I've been in I've been in one and I'm amazed how well they actually fly. They you know I yep. thought a smaller plane might get buffeted around a bit, but
1: no, nah, wasn't the case. Yeah, uh, uh, good fun, so I love it. So still after, you know, 30 odd years of flying still love going to work every day, so I don't I don't look at it as a job. It's more fun than a job, so Well,
0: that's a good place to be in. And it's a good segue into what I ask you to come on to talk about because you know I find that you're very articulate when it comes to facets of flight, as I've mentioned, but also yep. how to teach people. And you know you do it in your day job, but you do it at the flying field a lot as well. And so I want to have a bit of a deep dive with you about you know for anyone that's trying to teach somebody else how to fly, whether you're an instructor or not an instructor, but you know we'll, we'll call them instructors yep so, so we're just going to go step by step through you know a few questions that I've gotten a bit of you know a bit of insight that might help the listeners out there that are looking at being an instructor or actually involved in instructing people at their flying clubs or even if you just want to improve your own flying so first of all, who do you think should become an instructor
1: um oh, I believe any any person could become an instructor or, or is able to um Definitely the people that are more passionate, I suppose, about what they're doing and and the ones that I I find that excel probably the best at instructing are the ones that um, demand so much more of themselves every day that they're flying and what they're doing so that, you know, when you can go out and demonstrate something to someone, you can show them exactly how it's done, sometimes in a couple of different ways just to make sure the person really understands, you know, what you're trying to demonstrate to them. And, and the standard you set yourself is, is extremely high as opposed to, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult. There's some very good instructors out there that probably don't fly to the standard. Sometimes they demand of their students. So, you know, it's hard for them to really show the student what, what they should be striving for
0: very very interesting point so basically what you're saying is if you're going to be an instructor you've got to have some sort of passion for flying correctly technically correctly and be able to demonstrate that which is um makes a lot of sense really Mm.
1: um i'm sort of because it's i mean we can we can all fly around the sky in that in that respect that's that's the easy part it's it's flying you know particularly when you're you're teaching someone early on and when you're doing basic straight and level maneuvers nice level coordinated turns and all that sort of stuff it's the the stuff the average model pilot once they go solo doesn't spend much time practicing too much because we all want to go off to do loops and rolls and stalls and 3d and and all that sort of stuff but Flying some of the most basic straight and level maneuvers is is actually the hardest to do it consistently well. Yeah, that is true.
0: I was actually I was just thinking back to my experience with model flying, and there was a gentleman that was instructing me, and he was drilling in the straight and level and the nice level circuits and that kind of stuff. But but yeah, that that makes you know, I, I'm going to equate some of our conversation that we're going to have to. Something that I'm involved in and started doing this year, which was ski instructing, snow ski instructing, and yep. and I've loved it. Like the season's almost over, and, and I absolutely loved it. And I'm that kind of person that wants to know how to do things properly. What is the technique that you need to have to fly a model plane properly? And how what does what is a good landing supposed to look like? Even a takeoff, turns, um, you know, precision flying or whatever. And it's the same um, with the skiing and. I had to go through an exercise to become a ski instructor, to be certified as an instructor training, and they covered everything from teaching how to demonstrate the um, you know different turning techniques or whatever to the students, uh, how to teach children versus adults and stuff like that. It was extremely extremely thorough. When I equate it back to model flying, um, what you've just said just makes sense that. You can't go and be a ski instructor if you can't demonstrate the, the perfectly what the student's supposed to be able to do and articulate it as well. So that was a lot of training, which I don't think we get that level yeah. of um, that level of training when it comes to flying instructing. But just because the system doesn't um, have all that certification, that level of certification doesn't mean that we can't aspire to to being like that anyway. So makes uh, exactly. makes a lot of sense.
1: Okay, and and like I say, and as long as you can. You you demonstrate, you know, and that gives usually the student something to try and strive towards. Yeah. I think sometimes um, people
0: become instructors because, you know, obviously they want to help out their club and that kind of thing. But sometimes I think that many of the instructors are there or see themselves as their role as rescuing the plane when the student's out of control kind of thing. You know, standing next to them and and giving a few pointers and the pointers are a bit more power okay turn left now rather than maybe teaching so uh, so really you want to have someone that wants to have that inclination to learn how to teach somebody i suppose as well that would make a really good instructor um Yeah.
1: yeah yep and it's and it's hard like you know i've been in clubs where there are no actual instructors per se that have the rating and you know you taught by people who are magnificent teachers but you know then when you want to do an instructing course the, they're a little bit reluctant to go and actually do it yet they're awesome instructors so you know I I look at my position sort of where I am in the hobby to go well these are the people we need to encourage to get over the line to come do an instructor course because you know they they just need that little bit of a push to to get them to get the rating so
0: and I think like the important thing about instructors is that sets the tone and the standard in our model flying scene, really. And and yeah. we know that our flying associations and our, our clubs and whatever, they, they hold safety at the utmost importance at the club, but a good pilot yep. is a safe pilot. And so it does, I believe it does start with the instructor and, um, you know, m- maybe maybe there has to be a stricter criteria for those people that want to become an instructor to, to set that tone ongoing I think here in Australia the requirements are pretty low you just have to have a goldwing standard um, thing so you'd be able yeah. to do some basic basic maneuvers and basic aerobatics and demonstrate you can do
1: that and then uh, you just turn up to the course and uh you have to be recommended by the your committee so it's not like anyone in that respect can put their hand up so under the MOPs, when it was rewritten that yeah you need to be recommended that your club you know sees you as someone that you know has has the potential of what they think an instructor should be so but that's that's in the eyes of the beholder too so you know there's a bit of you know give or take on that one but you know
0: I doubt whether most clubs are analysing the people that they want to be an instructor and going, have they got the right personality, have they got the right temperament, have they got the right skill set, can they teach, can they communicate effectively? Because mm. I know a lot of instructors aren't very good at instructing. They can fly, yeah, but then, they're not good at Yeah,
1: but then, you know, you know, in, in having faith in the system is what I say to a lot of people, you know, and, you know the, the structure and the way the instructor course is written and how it should be run yeah, you know, hopefully, you know, someone who may not be exactly perfect by the end of the course should have a fair understanding of, you know, where, where they need to go or how it should be done and hopefully they'll change the way they do things. And they'll, you know, and one of the best things I find with instructing, if you want to improve your flying, teach someone to fly where you've got to recover at the worst time, at the lowest altitude, at, at the most unusual latitude. And, and not crash their airplane, and you know, not that you should let it get that far, but it certainly changed my flying very quickly into, you know, someone who who could fly to someone who's, yeah, you know, can handle. I believe some pretty ordinary failures in airplanes and still survive and get them back on the ground. So
0: yeah, I, I think I think you can that 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 sentiment of you can improve if you become an instructor it makes a lot of sense because. If you're the kind of instructor that wants to become, you know, re- get a really good grasp and understanding of the technicalities behind flying and what makes a good pilot, then you'll be more mindful yourself when you go out flying. So you're basically educating yourself as you go, and then you're educating the student at the same time. And um, yeah, you, you you could you know naturally become a better pilot as a result. Now, yeah. Next question. Um, say we've got. But generally instructors are there to help the newcomers into the hobby. You know, the people who just joined the club, got a passion to want to get involved. Um, let's start out with how do you deal with someone like that, the newcomer? Um,
1: oh, once usually, um, see, I know some clubs have club trainers and stuff like that. We don't actually have one in our club up here that we use. So, you know, most people, although there's, there's a few... You know, boomerangs and scanners that we use if someone turns up and they want to have a go on the sticks we put them on a buddy box and and give them a, a bit of a go to see what they like and then most people go off and buy their own gear so you know given that they usually don't know too much about the hobby you know their first visit to the club is basically going over their model and everything to make sure everything's set up correctly given that you know as you would have seen, every person sets their aircraft up different to the next person, so no-one's right, no-one's wrong. But we just have to make sure for the longevity of the aeroplane and that that it's set up in the sense that, you know, we would expect any other aeromodeller to fly an aeroplane. Yeah. What kind of model do you suggest? Um, I mean, the average person, it used to always be, you know, a boomerang with an OS-46 in it. I mean, this these days, there's so many electrics and that available now. So, you know, it's it really is up to the person to a how much money they have to spend and and really what they want to do. You know, are they someone who likes methanol or petrol, or are they someone that's happy to charge batteries and all that sort of stuff? So, you know, it's it it's so hard to sort of you know, say to a person to go buy Model A, B, C or radio of this brand because it's so individual. But there's got to be a style of
0: plane. Like, we know that boomerang trainers and stuff like that are pretty good to learn on. Um, You know, you don't want someone turning up with a P-51 Mustang 50cc (laughs) as a training model. Uh, It it happens. It happens. I know it happens. (laughs) But,
1: yeah, your your normal high-wing or low wing. You know, sport trainer model these days. It it doesn't really matter which brand, which one. They all fly very reasonable these days. The arf so it's not like back in the old days where they were, they were a bit hit and miss at times. So yeah, any any basic you know four channel high wing or low wing trainer is is perfect for really their first, second or third aeroplane because they just fly so well.
0: So what about electric or petrol? Do you have any preference? I-
1: um, no, personally, I, I'm not fussed about about either. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, um, e-flight models and all that with all their stabilities and all that sort of stuff that people buy and, you know, really the biggest thing comes down to if you're going to award them wings to whether they get bronze or silver depending on the weight of the model.
0: Yeah, okay. Okay, so now the student's got the model all sorted out, you've gone through the model um and everything's good okay where do you take them what's the sequence of that you'd like to teach people from that point onwards
1: i mean yeah through the first bit of the field that's when you start talking about you know safety and starting and arming and all that sort of stuff but getting into the flying side of it um 99 of people i actually can't remember the last per- person i trained that didn't want to use a buddy box system so you know it's pretty standard these days um I I take most people out and I let them have all all controls. You know, I know with the, the modern radios and all that, we can give them say aileron or we could just give them elevator. Um, my technique of teaching is I give them all the controls. and yeah, we start off just doing some level flight using the elevator, just seeing how it, it changes the pitch of the airplane. Then you start getting them to use a bit of aileron. To, to start turns and, you know, without them putting the elevator in, they can see how it loses height. So we start working on the coordination of a little bit of back pressure with, you know, a bank angle of bank and, yeah, slowly just start stepping them through it.
0: Okay. What about before the plane gets in, into the air, do you have like a, a pre-flight briefing explaining what you're looking for and what you're going to try to do?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, we sit there and you, you talk about, you know, all the control surfaces how they work and you know and what we're going to achieve on on this this flight it's you know the first one is really just to give them a feel if they haven't had a fly before a feel of what the airplane's going to do and how it's going to react so yeah you know, i find one of the easiest is you know is take people out and just get them to you know get the airplane set up straight and level at, you know half to just over half throttle and and just get them to fly a few loops and just get them to pull on the elevator and just fly a couple of loops, one after each other, just to give them an idea of, you know, how much control and all that you actually do have the aeroplane and how much it reacts to how hard you pull on the stick. I
0: reckon that most instructors would never contemplate letting the student do a loop, but it makes so much sense to say, you know, pull on it, see what happens. And the, the student would be like,
1: oh, I did a loop in my first flight, and they'd be really chuffed that they did that. Well, that's it. You know, a well-trimmed airplane, it's like, I you know, just let it fly straight and level. You don't have to do much to it. You know, I had, years ago, we had a a school group come out we did a demonstration for and they all had to go on the buddy box and it was blowing probably 30k an hour stronger winds and it was gusty as anything. And all I did with the kids was see could do the most loops. <laughs> and I had them all lined up and I think 12 was the most someone did before it got completely out of control. And, mm. and they went away as happy as anything, that they'd all had a competition so you could do the most loops. And they didn't actually fly the aeroplane per se, but they had fun doing loops. So adding fun into the mix,
0: especially for, say, younger people, is a really good idea then.
1: Yeah, and even even the older guys, it just takes a bit of the pressure off, and that, that's what I think. I, I suppose, you know, getting back to this whole instructing attitude and all that sort of stuff, it's, you know, if something's fun and enjoyable, the, there's less pressure a person will put on themselves. But if they're under a little bit of duress and things aren't going quite right, the way in which they learn is degraded so much that, you know, some of the flights are almost pointless yeah. for, for getting them, you know, further down the path to going solo. Yeah, okay. So...
0: You've got a student, they've been they've, they've got a little bit of flying under their belt. They've, they've, you've yep. taken them out for the first time and that kind of stuff, right? Then what do you do? What are you focusing on, you know,
1: fifth flight in? Pretty much, you know, it's, it's a bit like teaching full size. Yeah, you know, once you've worked out, you know, left and right and up and down and, and unfortunately with models when it's coming towards your left is right and right is left and, and got all that coordinated, you know, and you've been flying nice rectangular patterns around the sky that are fairly coordinated. It's it's a matter of you know setting them up to land and consistently just doing takeoffs and landings. Hopefully by about the fifth flight, they would have had a with me. Most people have already done at least a couple of takeoffs and had a decent go at quite a few landings. As in as we discussed in the last one, setting up for the correct attitude at the correct speed and and trying to Just control the airplane towards the landing area. And as the student's flying, how much instruction do you give? Yeah, it depends on the student. And you know, some people will react with with very minor inputs. Other people, you know, until as as we know when we learn stuff, you know, sometimes we can all struggle until one day it just clicks. And you know, so you know, there's there's people I've taught at times where I'm going, you know, your left hand. Your, or your left thumb push away from me or your left thumb thumb pull towards me or your right thumb pull it towards yourself. And sometimes you have to go to that level. And other times you can just go, oh, just a little bit of up or a little bit of down or a little bit of left and right, and the person does it instantly. So, yeah, but I, 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 I tend to, you know, in some respects, I don't know whether it's a bad example, but I, I let people go a long way before I actually take over you know partly i have faith in my own ability but also too you know if we take over too early in some respects they never learn the consequence of the mistake so you know it's a it's a very fine line though as well because you don't want to scare i mean you don't want to lose their model either so well
0: you know when i think about it you know again equating it back to this some of the ski instructing stuff that i've that i've been doing what you're trying to do is train your body and your brain and your nerves to all work together to control something in the case of skiing yep. it skis in this case of a model plane it's to, to fly this plane and muscle memory is something that like you know i don't have to think about which way to move the sticks when the plane's for uh, facing me and that took practice yep. to train my brain in skiing when you when you teach someone you see them just all wobbly and unbalanced and all that kind of stuff. And I say to them, don't worry, that is your brain and your body working to try to gain control. You're gonna to have to go through this phase where everything feels uncomfortable and your body's gonna work out how to deal with it. That's called that's where the practice comes into it. And that idea, like you said, that sometimes you gotta let the student go to experience it, but I think that's also training, it's part of the training, the brain process and the, the muscles and the nerves or whatever, to the neural pathways to understand what to do and, you know, just making it a a bit like flying in bad weather, right? Well, you're not going to get good at flying in bad weather unless you've flown in bad weather and you've confronted the wind and the crosswinds and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. I like that. Let the student go sometimes. Um, How high are are you getting the plane up? Because, I've seen some instructors that like getting the plane so high that it makes it hard to maintain orientation. Um, where where yep. do you like to position it in the sky?
1: Um, I, I I don't mind, you know, a, a reasonable height, you know. it's Yeah, you know, this is the hard thing is trying to gauge exactly how high a model is, but probably, yeah, 300 feet or so, maybe just over, um, which is you know but then it becomes proportional if you're letting it fly a long way away from yourself and keep taking it outside basically the circuit or the flying area then you know a lower height is looks really low the further it gets away so you know i i tend to teach exactly the same as i'd expect them to fly when they go solo and you know at least sort of two mistakes high so yeah, if you lost orientation, say, when it's coming towards you and you turn left, when you should have turned right, it goes upside down and you pull back because that fixes everything. You've got time to sort of take a breath and recover before it's, it's in the ground. So, yeah. you know, and when they do go solo, you expect them to fly at approximately that height so that, yeah, they, they've got that bit of leeway.
0: Okay, so interesting. Some of the things that I'm getting from you is you don't mind the students taking off planes um, pretty early on in their training. It's not a difficult maneuver, really. If the if the plane sort of handles well on the ground, kind of thing, you can get it up in the air. Um, so I suppose yep. then you, you're getting into some some straight and level flight and coordinated turns, and then I suppose the most daunting thing for 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 a beginner is the landing and you know, we won't go through the whole landing thing because you've got to go and listen to the Michael Timms episode on landing because <laughs> it's phenomenal. But um, you know, in your your method of landing, which is 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 an excellent, oh, I think, way of doing it, is there's different phases of that landing. Would you teach just one phase at a time and then start linking them together, or would you try to do it as one whole um sort of approach from you know the down downwind leg coming onto final, etc.? What would you, what, which way do you go with it?
1: Yeah, well, see, leading leading up to the landing approach, like, you know, I like, you know, because I fly full size, I like flying nice rectangle circuits. So while we're we're training and doing coordinated turns, I'm getting them to fly a nice rectangle circuit that's dead parallel to themselves so that once we come to the landing phase, yeah, as we turn from base to final, the only difference is being is we're going to reduce the throttle, set a little bit of elevator. And the aircraft will slow down and start its descent so you know i'm sort of i try and build into the next part of what we're going to learn so if we've got them just flying all around the sky everywhere and they can't line up with the runway then they're going to fight the landing approach all the way down and you know good approach good landing bad approach bad landing so i I try and methodically step my way through teaching people
0: okay it's interesting fighting the landing how many times have you been to a flying event and you've watched people fight the plane down to the ground? <laughs> oh. No comment. But do you know what? You've ruined it for me because now I'm sitting there going, they didn't set the elevator and then fly it in on the throttle and, you know, you can see it in the approach. When you see a nice landing, it's just effortless and it's it's even. You know, the, the trajectory down to the, the strip is nice and even with a nice flare at the bottom and that's it, you know, onto the deck. Well,
1: that's it. And, and as you know, the method to my madness is once you've set the elevator and the throttle, yeah, you know, all I have to think about is aileron to keep it lined up with the runway because the other two are taking care of themselves. And if I don't change either of those, I only have to think about one control input. So, you know, when we have to think about two or three at one time is when we start getting behind it, when we're, you know, the heart rate hits 300 and we're, we're thinking harder than we need to. Yeah. What about um – um?
0: do you encourage your students to go around if, if things aren't aren't looking good all the time yeah don't don't let them fight it down to the strip
1: no and you know to it you know once again to a point i mean you know i i i say to people you got to get up early to scare me so i'm willing to let people go further than probably the average person would in some respect but you know it's Really,istically, really, you know, most people either land short or they land long. And, you know, our, our model field up here, we've got two runways that are 14 metres wide and 140 metres long are gravel. So, you know, we narrow it down a lot further than the average model field, which is, say, 50 metres or 40 metres wide grass and 100 odd metres long and people clap when you hit it. So... <laughs> You know, it, it's, it's hard sometimes with new students when they land just off our gravel runway and they go, oh, that was no good, I missed the strip. I'm like, well, given where you are in your flying career, people would clap at a normal model field if you landed there. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I'm glad you're being that hard on yourself, but don't quite be that hard sometimes. But, yeah, yeah, you know, everybody's different. And it's
0: interesting. Is like I, I learnt on a strip that was relatively narrow compared to a lot of other clubs. And um, yep. I think I think it does help you because I've been sport now because now, at my my local club it's massive. It's like it's so wide. Yep. Like, if you miss it, there's something wrong with you. You need to get your eyes checked. <laughs> but I go down to the Etchua Club, and it, it's like yep. it's like a laneway. It, it is on it the conveyor. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really. I find it really narrow, and I always I always say I land on the footpath. <laughs> but yep. But it's it's. But the but the the club members they're great. They can nail it every single time because they just become accustomed to it. So you know, I suppose again, you know, if you're at a club where you are flying, well, you know, we got really wide runways. There's nothing stopping you from saying, "Look, I'm going to give myself a target. This is the spot that I want to land in. Let's pretend that I know I've got a lot of width, but I'm aiming for that little spot there, and um, yeah. give yourself a target and to to, to try to you know be precise in your landings this is what it all comes down to is isn't it really it's about precision in your flying
1: well that's it and you know and another thing you know i really emphasize and this is a personal thing i emphasize with people is understanding the position of the airplane in the sky relevant to yourself which you know i believe isn't isn't probably taught or understood as much as it should be because you know i see it and you would have quite often and um, is a classic, you know, you turn up there and no one can land on the conveyor belt because you're not a local. But like you just said, you know, if you can put this aeroplane in the same position on base and the same position on final at the same speed, you know it's going to touch down directly in front of you. All you have to do is work out how far the centre of that strip is from where you're standing and line the model up with it. So I, I try and emphasise with people... You know, rather than using the local tree or a hill or something like that to, you know, put the aircraft in a position relevant to yourself so that you um know exactly where it is at all times and it makes landing really easy on the right spot.
0: That's a really good point because we often talk about picking a, a, a you know, a tree or a, an obstacle or something um, as a reference point. But you are your own reference point in a kind of way. So it doesn't matter what flying field you go to, you'll be yeah, able to... Yeah. Oh, gee. Gee, you'll That's smart. it.
1: If you you if you stand there with your shoulders parallel to your landing area and when the airplane's about 45 degrees off your left or right shoulder, depending where you're turning base, and you turn base at that height and that position and set your throttle and get the attitude and turn final, you know, you can do that. It doesn't matter what field you go to. I mean... Yeah, you know, first time I ever ser- turned up at Shepparton Mammoth Scale. Yeah, you know, never been to Sheppard and Field before. Landed on the middle of the conveyor belt the first time. And the bloke standing beside me goes, geez, you've been here a lot. How you know, how'd you do that? And I go, mate, it's first time I've seen the field. Mm. I just put the airplane at the right height at the right speed and I knew it was going to touch down there. And yeah, you know, that 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 gives me the confidence that Obviously there's some method to my madness.
0: Well, that's Well, there definitely is. You know, you can either rely on luck and you know, I've I've been the Shepherd of Mammoth a number of times and most of the incidents happen on approach and I've seen, you know, the the people coming in and they're flaring three or four times before they get it into the onto the runway, then it's running long and then they get all stressed and then they run it off into a fence or into the long grass at the end of the strip and it should have gone around and all that kind of stuff but yeah if you're a bit more methodical and uh, about it um you're probably going to be better off but the question for you is you know how much time are you you spending on the ground explaining these concepts because i think it'd be very very hard to try to do it always during flight
1: yeah it's sort of it can be interesting because yeah during flight depends how much you know available brain space the person has that you're teaching if they're if they're handling it pretty easy then yeah you can spend a fair bit of time but yeah i don't know i suppose i go to the field when i'm home probably two days a week at least and i'd probably spend i don't know a good half hour to an hour sometimes each every time i'm there talking to different people in the pits and in the clubhouse about all this sort of stuff constantly
0: do you demonstrate it as well like it's, it's something in, with ski instructing they said theres a there's a process you know talk about what you're going to do demonstrate so they can physically see it and then let yep. them do it and then analyze their their movement and that kind of stuff and give them feedback so they can keep on progressing so it's something you'll say okay let me let me do a landing and I'll show you and I'll talk you through it
1: yeah definitely and you know and then you know I, I set myself that higher standard that you know I have quite a few there's a few members in our club that if my landing isn't exactly as I sort of preach, they let me know about it and I won't stop doing a landing until I do it exactly as I expect it to be done. So, you know, yeah, it's it's quite, quite quite a running joke that if I do a bad landing, there's yelling from the pits area and I go around and I do it again.
0: Yeah. Now, I don't think I've ever seen an instructor demonstrate how to do something. I think it's more. Most instructors grab the transmit, give the transmitter to the student, and go. Okay, you go, and I'll tell you what, to, what you're doing wrong. But yep. I think people demonstrating it, and then so people can visually, you know, the student can stop, relax, watch, um, and you, and as you talk them through what you're doing as well, I think that that would help people tremendously. You know, I'm just going to show you what you need to do, and I'm going to talk you through yeah. what I'm doing, so you can get it right in your head, um, and so when you when you actually got to do it so i think that, that'd be that'd be definitely good
1: tip. yeah with that landing approach you know we're like my way where you you set the elevator so the 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 body angle on the airplane is constant which sets your speed yeah and i, I actually hold the transmitter up in front of the face of the person so they can see it and i go just watch my thumb it doesn't move all of, at all from when i start the descent until i need to flare yeah. so you know being able to do stuff like that and then being able to see it and go oh okay if i just said it i can forget about it so yeah de- de- demonstrating it is is half the battle and like i say you know and that's where it's it's up to the individual to practice to a point where they're confident that they can demonstrate it without you know having to work 100% because usually when you're working pretty hard you can't describe what you're doing so you know, you need to do it to a point that you can talk flat out while you're doing something and it's just second nature.
0: Okay. So here's, here's, a, here's a message to all the students out there. If your instructor is not demonstrating what they want you to do, ask them to. <laughs> Force them to say, okay, give me, tell me what you're going to do. Uh, you know, show, show me what I'm supposed to be doing on your model. Yeah. fly the trainer model or whatever and say, okay, show me the landing approach and talk talk me through it.
1: Yeah, and and realistically, the instructor should be doing that anyway. The first one, even if it's their model on a buddy box, the instructor should be, you know, as much as you want to talk them through it and expect them to grasp it all, you know, you're going to be showing them, you know, what the attitudes look like and where you expect it to be and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, and you might do one landing every flight with someone when they're learning to do... Landings where you physically actually just fly the whole approach to give them a break because you know the average student I've found about six minutes is about the limit of their their really active learning time. Uh, after six minutes, they're just reacting; they're not learning. So by you just doing a circuit or coming to a landing and a stop and then letting go again, you reset that six minutes. So yeah, you know, there's there's so many facets to instructing that. You know, I I find some people don't really contemplate that, you know, can really affect how your student learns. Yeah, 100%. Well, it's it's like, this
0: equates, you know, we can equate this to lots of other aspects of our life from, you know, your your, your education where you go to school and learn, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, all that kind of stuff. Um, It's, you know, it's exactly, exactly the same because I always say that, we're humans and we have something called human nature where we all sort of follow, you know, a certain way of, of thinking and, you know, whether it's learning how to snow ski or fly a model airplane, the fundamentals are still exactly the same. So it um, makes a lot of sense. Now you, you mentioned you, you don't mind using a buddy box um, just for, for those people that may not have, like a lot, a lot of modern buddy boxes now can be, have a wireless uh, a sync up, can't they? Yep. It's not yep. just about putting the old cable in. Um, can you go or oh, first of all, just you can have a mode two instructor teaching a mode one person, can't you? Or vice
1: versa. With the modern modern radios, yeah, they don't they don't need to be both the same. So yeah, I I quite often fly teach people on mode two. I fly mode one. So yeah, the, the challenge becomes is you know, when they go solo, <laughs> you have to disconnect that cord to let them go solo and you know, it, it makes it challenging for a mode one or a mode two pilot to suddenly grab a transmitter to save someone who flies the opposite mode.
0: But when you th- when you think about it, in full-size flying and when you have to fly solo, the instructor's not going to let you go solo until you've been able to demonstrate multiple times that you can do everything from takeoff to landing. It's not going to be like, yep, okay, here you go. So from an instructor's point of view, if you're – if your student can demonstrate that they can do, you know, a full flight from takeoff to landing and they can repeat it multiple times, then that risk of, you know, them stuffing up is probably going to be more
1: about what's in their head than their ability. So It's right what you say about instruct with the teaching that, you know, the student has demonstrated many times and that's why you're gonna actually send them solo, but you've still got that human nature factor that suddenly they don't have the umbilical cord attached and, you know, they can put themselves under pressure and make a slight mistake. And, you know, with no trainer system, if they do that two feet off the ground in order to grab the radio and and take over and, you know, what's worse, if it's a mode two instructor and a mode one pilot, you know, you've suddenly got to fly the the opposite mode at, at zero feet with the aeroplane at a weird attitude. So. You know, it makes it, makes it really hard. And, and on top of that, you know, if if we were guaranteed every student was never going to crash his aeroplane, none of us had ever crash an aeroplane crash an on approach again in the rest of our life.
0: I had this incident when I was doing my, back then it was just the bronze wings test, which now would be the silver wings test. And uh, part of the test was the, the the examiner had to put the model out of trim and you had to trim it. And I'm a mode two flyer because it's the motor champions, and uh, the instructor was a mode one um, flyer, and so he's going, okay, I'm just going to um, push some trim out now, and he sort of leant on the trim, and you know, with these modern radios, they sort of like they beep, you know, and the harder you press, the more the faster the beeps, so it went beep 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 beep, beep, beep. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh no. This plane went, it was a boomerang trainer, Nitro. And it was, it went all over the shop. And I said, gee, it's really out of trim now, right? And I'm trying to correct it, but this thing started sort of heading towards a tree. And it actually did clip a tree and did some damage just to the, to the covering, which we just put some tape over. And he apologized. And I think we worked out there was something like 15 clicks of, uh, of trim that he'd put in. Uh, as a result of leaning on it and being a mode one flyer wasn't exactly sure what control service he was actually putting the, uh, the trim into so uh, warning for the instructors when you go to the trim test don't lean on the trim tab because it might end up in disaster as well It might be a bit too much
1: well that's it and you know there's many a story out there if you know you're an instructor you're at the field and someone's plane goes out of control so you're expected to run out there and save it and you suddenly grab a transmitter that's mode two and you fly mode one and you know i'm 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 fortunate i i actually can fly both modes quite competently so you 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 started
0: flying upside down mode anyway that's another story mode 7 mode seven and a half, I think it was that's yeah. another story go back to the first podcast recording that I did with Michael Timms to learn how he learnt how to fly a plane all back to front it was amazing
1: yeah. Ups, down, downs, up. That's, uh, that's, that's right. how it works. That's right.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. If you want to go up, you push the stick forward. So, exactly. Yeah, well done. That makes sense. <laughs> and now you're a pilot. <laughs> Did when you when you went for your first flying lesson, you say, oh, "I got this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push it forward, and it's gonna go up."
1: And then, um. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you'd learn by then. I've, I've never tied the two together, so yeah, I keep them quite separate. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well. Here's another one for you. Mm-hmm. Simulator or no
1: simulator? What are um, your thoughts? E- either or. You can, you know, you can tell the students that have gone home and and practice on a simulator or flown on a lot on a simulator before they come for their first lesson and each lesson after that. So, you know, some people like them, some people don't. It's it's once again a personal preference, but yeah, it, it certainly aids in the. Um, the orientation and coordination that the pilot achieves in a in a faster time i mean it unfortunately it gives them a i believe a false sense that you know you can crash as much as you want on the simulator it doesn't cost you anything so you know you've got to got to be wary of that as well so
0: I'm a big fan of the simulator. Oh, I, oh, my first flight of a model plane, I took off and landed. And you would have been happy with my landing. It was right down the middle of the strip as well. And then the guy said, okay, take off again. And I flew around again. And um, and that was on the back of a lighter simulator. And like you said, it taught me orientation control. Actually, the first flight, the guy said to me, oh, how do you think you're going? I said, oh, I think my orientation control is pretty good. I think I got pretty dialed in. And uh, it was fine. And the club was concerned at how quickly I was progressing and um, that's because I'm a legend, uh, Michael Timms, Um, but it was on the back of like, I'd literally been flying on and off the simulator for nearly a five year period because I'd bought um, a helicopter and was practicing on the simulator. And then I'd fly fixed wing as well on and off. And, and then eventually I got a, a plane. And so by that stage, it was like, "Yeah, I can take off and land and whatever." So, I uh, and I do find that I I feel a bit more dialed in if I've been flying on the simulator a bit more um, before I actually go to the flying field. Especially if I fly helicopters and stuff like that, um, it just dials everything in um, a, a little bit better. So. I do like simulators but I know there's a lot of people that, that, that they that don't think it's the real thing and guess what people it's not the real thing if you want the real thing go and get the real thing but uh, when you, you know, the stick control and the stick movements are exactly the same and as my, my my old friend Ido Seger would say to me your brain doesn't know the difference it's the same stick movements you're just controlling that thing that's flying
1: around so yeah it comes down to what are you trying to achieve with it you know, and that's that's where the people in that respect are going, oh, no, it's not the same, you can't do it. It's like, you know, well, what's their first flight of their airplane like after they haven't flown for a month or so? Yeah, you know, and if you could measure their heart rate and how much they're sweating and how much pressure they put themselves under compared to if you practised on the simulator for an hour before you went out there, you might have a slightly more enjoyable flight. So... It depends what you're using it for and what are you trying what are you trying to achieve. Well, it's
0: interesting that um, you know my brother's an airline pilot and he does simulator training all the time. Okay, the simulators yep. are pretty cool, right? But you know he was up in, in Queensland doing training on the seven three seven Max recently, and yep. you know he will then go and fly the real thing. But he's already had the training. You know he knows how to fly a seven three seven. He's endorsed for the thing. He's flown thousands of hours in it but you know knowing different controls and uh, some subtleties of whatever the air, aircraft you know that's what they do do you do the same thing as well with um with your roller coasters?
1: Yeah. yep yeah we we do it yeah four times a year we go to two days in a row six months apart mm.
0: it's never take off to a circuit land is it it's take off and oh look one of the engines is stopped
1: yeah well that's it it's you know it's it's really it's it's all about management yeah. yeah you're given you know sometimes very technical stuff goes wrong sometimes it's very minor stuff but it's all about managing the situation for a safe outcome so no different to your model aeroplanes you manage every flight and you want a safe outcome so you can use it again so you know that's where you know i'm sort of i believe i'm a little bit fortunate because you know Everything I do at work is based on on management for a safe outcome. So those processes and and that I put into place, whether I'm on a full size or on a model airplane.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Okay, let's move on. Uh, yep. We get varying demographics that are that coming to flying. You know, anywhere from you know a, a seven eight year old kid to a fifty five year old, then even higher in, in age. Yep. Do you have different approaches for the different sort of um, age demographics?
1: Definitely. I mean, it's, you know, particularly with the younger kids, and I I found this and I experienced it sort of firsthand with my own kids as well, but I see it fairly often. Probably one of the hardest thing of any any dad is to try and teach their own child to fly a model aeroplane. So, you know, I always say to the, the dads that are trying to teach their own kids that it might not be working properly, that it's like maybe just hand them off to someone else to have a bit of a go. But yeah, the younger the kids are, it's, you know, you've got to be, I suppose in some respects, a lot more understanding because there's not the maturity level and all that sort of stuff there. And, you know, the same thing can happen with, with some of the older members we get where You know, they don't like being taught by someone who's so much younger than them as well. So, you know, every every person is very individual and you've got to adjust accordingly to, you know, how you read the situation. And in in different parts of their learning, you might have to approach it a different way.
0: That's true. I think, Um, harking back to the the scheme instructing experience this year, is they drummed into us that with kids, they can't understand really technical concepts about body movements, ankle rolling, blah, blah, blah. They're just not going to get it. right?
1: Yep.
0: So the number one focus was fun. Make sure that they have fun and they enjoy the experience and and they will learn better from that. So I suppose with model flying as well is that if you're making it boring for them and just very plain vanilla sort of kind of um, teaching and flying, they're going to they're going to go. This is just boring. I don't want to do it anymore. Cause, and they'll give up. So things like what you do is get into some loops and see how many loops they can do in a, in a thirty second period or something like that. Can can make it fun for them, keep them engaged. Whereas with the adults, it's a bit different. You can you can approach it in a, in a different style. And I've been I've been teaching adults uh, this year, and adults are uh, you can talk to them as adults. They understand more. You can demonstrate things, and they'll get it a lot quicker. And it's the same with model flying, you know, I think, as well. Yep. And and even like you said, I noticed at the ski school that I'm part of, they put me in the adult group because I'm older. And they put the young, younger instructors with the young kids. Uh, and and even even saying that, some of the younger instructors I've spoken to, they don't want to teach the adults. They'd rather they're more comfortable to teach the kids because um you know they're worried about adults running into them. And, you know, especially the young girls and stuff like that. But, but you think about it, you've got a young, um, you know, a shout out to Darcy Wilson down at the Bansdale Club. He's 16 years of age and he's an instructor. He's the perfect person yep. to go and teach the eight-year-old. Like the perfect person to go and teach the eight-year-old. Don't go and get Darcy to teach the 60-year-old. Get him to teach the eight-year-old. So. I suppose you know when you get newcomers to the club be mindful of that as well of who's the best person to teach that that particular person.
1: Yeah. And and you know for for like myself, you know, I'm almost the youngest instructor at our club. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we don't we don't have that option of, you know, someone in there teens or 20s so you know, we rely on our instructors adjusting to the person they're they're teaching to you know get the best outcome for everyone because the last thing we want to do is lose them so because it's hard enough getting them to come into the hobby anyway so yeah you know, we we have an obligation to get them to where they need to yeah you know, so they're safe and they stay around they need to
0: ban grumpy instructors i reckon no, grump, no grumpy instructors. It's something They drummed it into us today, uh, this year at the ski school. Like, you were here representing this mountain. You want everybody to have a good time. They're spending a fortune, so give them a good time. The last thing they want to see is a grumpy face, you know, when they've yeah. when they paid a fortune. And it's the same thing. Here's someone that comes to a flying field that's really excited to want to learn and get involved in this hobby, and they've got this grumpy person going, oh, no, I don't know about that model. Oh, no, no, I don't know about that. No, no, we're not going to do that, you know. Yep. You know, give them a good experience. It's
1: like, you know, we, you and I have discussed, Yeah, you know, personally is, you know, I, I these days hardly ever take an aeroplane to the field because, you know, I'm not, not home that much but, you know, when I go out to the field, I can still have half a dozen flights of everyone else's aeroplane because, A, hey, people want to maybe see the aeroplane fly the way it's meant to in one respect or demonstrate to them how they should Um, do something because you know when you're standing there watching your air an airplane fly around the sky i believe you can't appreciate how it actually looks in the sky because you're concentrating all the time whereas when you take a step back and watch an airplane fly you can see so much more of what it's actually doing in the sky so you know i i get very spoiled and yeah that's partly i suppose because you know People like listening, or some people do to what I have to say, and it can be advantageous to them. Do you ever, uh,
0: do you ever, you know, you'd ever sit with a student off the flight line and observe other people's flights and critique other people's flights to let that student sort of. See what's going wrong or what's going right. It can go either way. Not, not you can sit there and go, oh, and Barry's up there again, and he's stuffed it up again. Watch this guy; he's going to stack it. But you know, it can go either way. Look, look what this person's doing. See how that's working. Do you ever do that, or
1: if you if you don't, do you think that it's valuable? Um, yeah, I definitely believe it's valuable as long as it's not being de- like you just hinted on degrading or anything to the other person. And yeah, you know, I, I actually we do that at times quite often with some of our normal members that are just standing there and they're watching people approach and land and they're going, oh, they didn't do this and it would have been better if they did that and that's why they landed a little bit faster, a little bit long, and I sit back and go, wow. You know, they're the sort of things you want to be thinking about when you're doing your own flight. So if you're analysing someone else at the level that you want to fly, then hopefully they're going to go out and they usually do it the same themselves and, and get better. So, yeah, it's, you know... In the airline industry, we analyse everything all the time. So you're just used to being analysed all the time. So, you know, it's good good to see people wanting to do that as long as you're not, you know, as you said, oh, Joe Blow's going out, he crashes every time. Watch this. This will be fun. Well, I think, like, when you think about it,
0: you know, we talk about safety and we have safety officers at our club. And the safety officers look at things such as, where you're standing off the flight line, is there a barrier? Did you start your plane in the right spot and all that kind of stuff? But I really, really think that what we neglect is flying standard and its impact on safety. Like I say to people when we ski, you know, if you're nervous and you're anxious about skiing, the best thing to do is to be technically correct because that's the the proven and tried way of, you know, the proven way to succeed – and not fall over, all right? Like just yep. know how to do it properly, like train and have the knowledge and then practice and do it properly, all right? If you're nervous, it's not going to happen. Build the culture at your club where you you, you they're educated people and they're critiquing themselves and they're helping other people to, to improve their flying and everyone's going to fly safely. It's as simple as that. It's just, yeah. you know, yes, things such as, you know, Start your playing these areas, watch out for the props, blah blah blah, etc. All those other things that we do, um, you know, that just becomes second nature and that's sort of easier to manage. But I don't think we extend that into the flying culture and and you know, setting that tone in the club. And I'm, it's very hard, I'm a member of a very big club, so there's a lot of people that come and go, and um, it's hard to do it. But I suppose up where you are, how many members are up at Mildura where you are? we um, we're about 38,
1: we got now, so oh, that's a good, service. yeah, so it's, it's yeah, it's it's. Yeah, you know, we comfortably get, you know, twenty odd out there on any day. So, you know, it's pretty active for a country club. Well, it's good that uh
0: one of your mates, Glenn Orchard,'s not really visiting Mildura much nowadays. Oh I've got to speak to Glenn though, because you know, he still hasn't come onto the podcast, Glenn Orchard. Uh yeah. He said he would. So I'm actually gonna hit him up in the next few weeks. Um Definitely. Definitely. So he's gotta he's gotta come on. Okay. <laughs> um it a question that I, I I warned you about before we got on air, and it's something that I've been I've been playing around with, um, especially in my day to day work life in marketing, and uh, dealing with customers. And that's what does success look like, and defining like I'll give you examples. Say in, in in marketing and in selling, you know, is success running an a, 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 an advertising campaign and getting four thousand people to respond. Or does success for that particular industry and that particular company mean it's four people, you know, um, that that respond to that ad and you end up getting a sale? That success is, is just – it can be defined. When it comes to model flying, what do you think success looks like?
1: Um, I, you know, from from an instructing point of view, I, is how I look at it with teaching someone and they go solo and you're finally – basically you know bronze wings silver wings whatever your club desires for them to fly solo that they can go out and comfortably fly their airplane around the sky get it back on the ground safely and come on back into the pits with a smile on their face just wanting to get better and better and better and enjoy it so yeah to me that's that's success and and you know there's all different levels because every pilot's at a different level and, you know, and having them fly within their, their own ability.
0: What's interesting, I think, in the model flying scene, all the instruction that we give to people is about getting them to a standard. You know, flying associations around the world will create licensing systems or different ways of making sure people meet a standard. Here in Australia, we have the bronze, silver, and gold wings. And, you know, the bronze wings is really just for small aircraft. I don't think many people are going aiming for bronze wings. I think they're going for the silver wings, which allow them to fly sort of lots of different planes. And then, of course, we've got that progression path, the gold wings, which are not a truckload of people sort of do it, you know, those that are sort of want to get into aerobatics or, you know, progress into other areas and that kind of thing and become an instructor will progress to, say, gold wings. But I find that there's... This concept of ongoing training, almost like advanced driver course kind of thing, where um, now we're going to try to progress your flying from, you know, you've met the standard of either you know bronze, silver, or gold wings. Now, if you want to improve even further, you know, um, you know, I think there's a big that's lacking a lot in our culture that we don't do that and have advanced flying courses or something like that. And I'd love to see that kind of thing. Happen because I'd turn up if there was a guru there. You know, I'm not going. It's not just anybody. Someone that's really, really good. That's going to, you know, teach me how to trim a plane better, or you know, how to do a stall turn better. You know, something like that. You know, what's the technically correct way of doing it? I think I'd love to see that. That'd be awesome. Yeah.
1: Well. Well, that's it. And and you've hit the nail on the head. You know, and I've said it for years. It's yeah. You know, it's really even once you got gold wings, it's just a license to learn. And yeah, we don't really unless you, you know, I I turn up at events and usually end up with a few people talking to me and we go out and fly and we demonstrate and we do stuff and they all learn because A, I want to pass on my little bit of knowledge I've got, but also I love people seeing people grow and become better pilots and the ones that want to learn. But yeah, we don't unless you go into a a specialty group like Fly Pattern or IMAC or Scale or something like that there's no real encouragement for people to progressively keep getting better and better and better the longer they fly model aeroplanes. So, and I, I look at it as someone who's been in the hobby a long time and have a wealth of knowledge. It's up to us to pass that discipline and skill on to other people so that they can step up and do the same.
0: Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. and And I think, you know, People say to me, Oh, why do you want to be a ski instructor at the age of 49? I'm like, Well, I've done a lot of skiing and I don't really need to ski another ski run. I've done a lot. And um, the idea of teaching and, and, the, and the reward that you get from teaching is sort of the next challenge as part of that aspect of my life. But that could also equate to model flying that, you know, if you've flown a lot over the years, then moving into instructing. And, and sharing that passion can actually give you a lot of satisfaction as well. You know, like yeah. seeing, you know, the thing I love about ski instructing is I can grab someone that's never been on snow and in a two-hour lesson, at the hour mark, I stop and reflect, has this group improved? At the two-hour mark, when the lesson's finished, I then look back and think, okay, where were they when they started and where have they got? And I've gotten down a run, they can stop, they know the basics of turning, they can go off and go and practice something now. And I give myself a pat on the back and think, that was just awesome. And it's the same with model flying. Imagine if you're getting a student and you can get them to, to meet their bronze wings or their silver wings and that kind of stuff. And not just beat you know, meet the stand, but technically know how to fly well. And you can get a lot of satisfaction out of, out of out of that as well. So any of you that are out there that are experienced pilots, and even um, I was just thinking whilst you were talking, would it be great if clubs, you know, say your club's got a great glider guy and they've got a wealth of knowledge of how to fly gliders from launching them to finding thermals to blah blah blah? Imagine if that club organised like a, a training day. Hey, you know, Gary the glider guru is going to he's running a, a workshop for you know electric soaring kind of thing Um, come down at two o'clock this Saturday and you know bring a model and um, you know Gary's going to show us a few things I think it's a great way that you can get people active in the club and also motivate people to try different things and and learn from somebody else's experience so it could almost be like a curated thing you know this month we're looking at pattern aerobatics we have you know Peter the pattern guru who's going to come and uh, show us how to do it so Oh, gee, I and, and i think
1: i I think at times clubs do that to an extent it's probably not as formalized as that but you know like I, I find myself quite often on the whiteboard in our clubhouse you know mainly talking to people about aerodynamics because a lot of people don't know much about aerodynamics and how much that affects an airplane and how it flies and all that sort of stuff and you suddenly start explaining how the forces work on an airplane and and why the tail set different to the wing and all this sort of stuff and you just see people's eyes open up go wow that's why my airplane doesn't fly like it should or i never understood that but it's it's basics of aerodynamics that we don't touch on either so yeah makes it very challenging
0: one thing i've realized is You'll get students that are there just to get to the bronze wing or silver wings level, so they can take up and land, and then they will just go away and scoot around the sky, and um, they'll probably fly like a mess, but they'll be happy to do that for the rest of their life. Yep. Then oh, you'll get the yeah, other people. Fair. Yeah. Then you get the other people that will sit there and go, okay, there's more to this. How can I do this better? How can I do this better? I see it in ski instructing. There are people that I know that when they leave that two-hour lesson, they're never going to ski again. They've experienced it. It's not for them. I've had people in the middle of the lesson go, no. Nah. There's one, one, one lady said to me, we're about an hour in, and she said, okay, I've had enough now. I said, you just want to go to the pub, don't you? She went, yep. <laughs> it's exactly where I'd rather be at the moment because it just wasn't for her. And so she, yep. no matter how much I tried, I wasn't going to be able to motivate her away from that to go and take up skiing, right? She'd already made yep. up her mind. So this relates to this question I want to talk to, to get your, your opinion on is, you know, what is your tip for students when it comes, when they come to the flying field to learn how to fly?
1: Oh no, that's, that's a, that's a real tough one. Um, I guess, yeah, just, just be enthusiastic and, you know, and, we all learn at different rates so you know and you can turn up one day and fly really well the next day you turn up and it's like you've never had a lesson or or flown a model aeroplane before and that's just the way it is so you know like i guess the the toughest one for some students is you know some days you probably shouldn't fly there might be other things going on in your your life that you know you want to get away from but you come out there and you bring it all with you and it's not the right day to be be learning stuff so
0: yeah i can just, attest to that my, i don't know my plane all my plane crashes that i've had in recent times is all as a result of uh brain fade or just not yep. being the right frame of mind and, and and i think what that what it means when we say we're not in the right frame of mind is that we become complacent we forget things so I crashed a model and I and it was purely because I didn't fly a nice circuit to come in and I stalled it uh, turning onto the runway. Like stupid, like absolutely stupid beginner's mistake. But it was just that I was just rushing or just wasn't thinking clearly enough and I've had plenty of days where I just should not have flown. And I'm getting pretty good. I, yeah. I, I, I'm the kind of person that likes to be nice and organised before I go to the field, so I want to know – 48 hours in advance that I'm going to the flying field this Saturday. So I'm going to charge my batteries tomorrow. And then I'm going to wake up in the morning. And I'm going to be all ready and I'm going to go to bed that night knowing that everything's ready to go and all I need to do. And I'm excited to get in the car and drive out to the field and go for a fly. So um, so okay, so that's that's a good thing. A mindset when you turn up to the field.
1: And really, your instructor your is 50% responsible for that as well because if you suddenly get up there, and I've done this at times, you get up there and it's like, okay, we're going to go up and we're going to do this, this, and this. And you go up there and it's just not working. So it's like, okay, let's just do some loops or let's do a couple of rolls or let's see if you can fly upside down. Just throw something wild out there. And sometimes that's enough to change how the whole thing's going. And some days it's just like, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, you know, we might go have a coffee and just see what happens because it's not the best day to be out there.
0: Or even you know, if the weather turns bad, sit down to do a theory session. You sit down yeah. and say, okay, let's just talk through. Let's just talk through what we're trying to do to get it in their heads. You know, that can be a good thing. I suppose one of the things that you sort of you know alluded to was, um, as a student, don't be too hard, hard on yourself. You know, you're gonna have good days and bad days. And yeah, you know, as I was saying earlier, your your body is trying to work it, work this thing out. And then, you know, when we say and then it just clicks one day, that's the body and the brain and the muscles and the nerve endings, the neural pathways, all that going, I got this.
1: Just that switch, switch gets flicked on and you don't know why it just does.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I'm I'm on this journey with table tennis, the sport of champions, as I like to say. And (laughs) with table tennis, you're playing your subconscious because things happen so quickly, you don't have time to go, okay, I am now just going to hit the ball this way. It's like, no, no, you're just reacting. And the challenge, yep. I think, and the frustration that I have is that I can tell you exactly what I did wrong after I mucked it up. I, ex- I hit the ball and it goes out. I go, I know exactly what I did. For that that to turn around so that I'm I'm thinking instinctively takes truckload of practice so that my body subconsciously knows exactly what to do. And um, yeah. yeah, I'm not. I'm not there yet. So it's the same with model flying. It just don't be hard on yourself. It's just going to take time. It takes time.
1: Yeah, and that that's what I say to people about, you know, I, I passionately love takeoffs and landings as much as I love flying around the sky. You know, if it's not a good landing, I don't me personally, I don't care how good the flight was. If it's not a nice landing, it was a an average flight. But yeah, I don't know. I'd, I've probably done 10,000 plus circuits, I reckon. Probably more in the time I've been flying. And at least half of those was just out there by myself, yeah, you know, burning holes in the sky, trying to make everyone the same.
0: That's another tip I'd like to add in there is I think sometimes when we, we're flying at a field and it's a bit of a social setting, there's always generally other people at the field, right? And sometimes yep. we think that, you know, we've either not impress. I don't think we're out there to impress the other people that are there watching or in the vicinity of you flying, but we're reluctant to do boring things or repetitive things such as touch and goes or flying um, circuits, or, you know, if you're practicing aerobatics, just doing that one maneuver over and over again. Oh, my tip is don't be afraid to go to the field. Don't worry about what, what people might say about, you know, why are you repeating that? It's because I'm practicing, you know, I'm trying to get better. Yeah. Do touch and goes. You know, just keep on doing touch and goes and practice your approaches. If you if you you know need some work on that area, and again, don't be afraid to practice the things that you know might be a bit more challenging, um, because your brain will work it out and you'll just become a better pilot. That's why I've always said going and practicing, you know, the IMAC basic sequence, the most junior level of aerobatic uh, scale aerobatic competition. Even if you're not ever going to compete, going and practicing and learning that. It gives you something to practice, and I guarantee you, you will become a more confident and proper-sized flyer as a result of just practicing the set maneuvers in the in the most basic uh, sequence that there is. um So yeah, there's my you know my two cents worth.
1: Or, or, or going going and fly pattern. Go have a fly the sportsman routine. You know it's it you know and we can hit, touch on this and th- this is one of the biggest things and and you experience this is doing aerobatics in the wrong position in the sky <laughs> you know and in te- teaching a student you know there's a there's a lot of logic to why pattern flying is done around the center of the box and it's directly in front of you and for that reason it's you know easy to see and all that sort of stuff and you know encouraging students to you know i'm going to go do some loops okay let's do them Half either side of the dead center of the where we're standing. And it's like why? Because you're doing them right down the the upwind or the downwind end, and you lose orientation every time you do yeah. it. Yeah. So you know, it's there's so much of this that becomes proportional all the time that you know most of the times people get in trouble. It's because they put themselves out of position before they started.
0: Yeah. Okay, so this leads me on to to the do's and don'ts for instructors. And we've covered a lot, you know, we've talked about um, a lot of different areas of what, you know, like don't be grumpy and stuff like that. But, you know, what are yep. some of the other other things that we can add to, to the stuff that we've already discussed around um, tips for instructors of the do's and don'ts?
1: Um, yeah, that's it's a real tough one. Again, with, with all We're students covered. are so different. Yeah, and we, we've covered so much of it. But
0: There's a tip in itself, though, that you've just raised it, that students are different. So you have to adapt to the student you can't yeah. just treat everybody the same that people have got different personalities they respond in different ways they learn in different ways so i suppose one of the things, tips i'd say is get to understand your student a bit and how they learn and observe and communicate with them to get to get that understanding and then Adapt your, you know, think You know, my biggest tip to the instructors is you're not there as a safety net when things go wrong. You're actually there to teach them so that things don't go wrong. And yes, things may go wrong and you gotta rescue them and that kind of thing, but you're there to teach them, not to just be that that, that you know,
1: yeah. First and aid. in teaching them teaching them, you should be giving them the tools that they can you know as they get better and better, analyze themselves what's potentially happening so they don't get into that situation as soon or as early as they would have prior to having those tools. So you know and and also don't don't assume that your student has understood because I'll all sit there and go, yeah, yeah, I got that. No worries. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, can you do this? Oh do what? It's like exactly it's you know, because we're all guilty of admitting we know how to do something we have no idea how to do it just to please somebody when they ask. So, you know, makes it challenging.
0: Some of my tips or do's and don'ts for instructors is um, educate yourself on how to teach people, understand what yeah. your role is. Um, we just sort of covered off Um invest in your own lead by example yeah lead by example demonstrate what needs to to be done rather than just say okay let's just see how it goes let's see what happens no yeah demonstrate and say this is what i'm looking for so they can visually see it so um we can add that into the mix um you know pre-flight briefing and post-flight briefings you know let's let's talk about what we're trying to achieve here and let's see let's review what we need to do after it so you know I'm gonna use skiing as an example. At the end of um, every lesson, I do a wrap up and say, Okay, what have we learned today? What are some of the things that you all need to focus on? And I'll I'll go around the group and say, Okay, you need to work on your stance, you need to get your hands out more, you need to work on your edging and or whatever. And then um, they've got something to go away with and think about and, you know, practice in their own time or practice on the simulator even, you know, if they're that way inclined.
1: Yeah, well, you know, do's and don'ts for instructors, I suppose. Be passionate about what you're doing will make you you know, a good instructor and one that people will want to learn from. And yeah, don't try try not to be arrogant in the effect of, you know, if someone can't do something properly, it's like, oh look, I'll just show you how to do it. Like it's that easy. It's, you know, you you see and hear that a little bit. So yeah, you know, we we need to encourage these people into our hobby. So be as as friendly and as passionate as you can.
0: Makes sense. And, of course, uh, practice makes perfect. So keep on practicing, everybody. And not just students but also instructors. Keep on practicing and refining the way that you teach as well and uh, that'll make you a, a, a better instructor and, and the outcome will be better students as well. So now yeah. we've come to the end because we've been going for a while. Um, and normally I ask, uh, <laughs> what has been your favourite model? and In this instance, I, I only only ask a guest once if they're a repeat, repeat, repeat offender on the podcast. And so I've already asked you that uh, ages ago, but I'm going to ask you a different question. And it's a question that nobody's ever probably been asked before on a podcast for relating to model flying is,
1: who has been your favourite student? Favourite student's probably a really hard one because there's been so many over the years and they're all uniquely different. But probably the, in some respects the most rewarding was a gentleman who I took over teaching to fly when he was 79. We got him to go solo when he was 81 and he flew solo in the club for about 13 years after that which was yeah you know, a fair effort considering so yeah i would say yeah he was probably right up there with with the best of them
0: well i'm almost turning 50 and so that means there's still hope for me yet to yep. be an okay pilot <laughs> I just wanted to get some instruction from you mr tims. Well, <laughs>
1: yeah one of these days we'll have to catch up <laughs> oh
0: i'll tell you what uh you'd critique my flying i haven't been flying much lately but you know that will be changing the next couple of months as the weather warms up but uh michael tims i always love having a chat with you i always love the way that you explain things and um hopefully we we had a, a, a a bit of discussion about different things that might uh, resonate with some people. So I hope that has. And thanks again for joining me on the Flat RC podcast.
1: It's a pleasure. About to
0: leave, already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away. A place where we don't know. well there you have it another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted and one episode it has been a big thank you to Michael Timms for joining me to have a chat about teaching people how to fly model planes uh, and the more and more I think about it is you know all if we, if we train people how to fly well that means they're safe and that's the whole aim is that we have competent pilots so it's a, it's a very critical part of our hobby, and if you're involved in teaching people at your local flying club, just always be critical on yourself see if there's any way that you can improve to to give people a better experience and get a better outcome, and and that kind of thing. I suppose the biggest thing is just a bit more a bit more method in your madness. Uh, I think would be my tip for for most people is uh, plan out you know, what you're going to do and what steps. And um, there's plenty of resources out there that can help if you're in Australia. The MAA website has. A bunch of information on it, um, the mops as they say around instruct- instructors and that kind of stuff. So, um, jump on there, Triple A website. So, that's enough for this this episode. Not sure who's going to be next. Don't know. Don't forget, plenty of events coming up. Hope to see you at the Shepherd and Mammoth event, in the middle of September. Don't forget your merchandise at valleyradioflyers.com.au. And whilst you're online, get on board with the flat out RC movement and subscribe to our Instagram page and our Facebook page and check out some of the YouTube videos and that kind of thing. So, hope you're enjoying it and getting out flying, enjoying this wonderful hobby. I'll be back, I think. Just got to find a guest. Talk to you soon.